Hey, this is Andy. And Randy. And we're here on AT Corner. Being an athletic trainer comes with ups and downs, and we're here to showcase it all. Join us as we share our world in sports medicine. Welcome back to another episode of AT Corner. For this education episode, we are going to be diving into wrist pain. And this is a CEU episode. Thank you to Mass General Brigham. So make sure you guys scroll down to the show notes, or if you're watching on YouTube, scroll down to the show description to quote unquote purchase your episode, even if it is free currently. And once your course evaluation and quiz are finished, you will get your CU certificate. Yep, that's correct. I'm still getting used to Mass General Brigham. Yes, formerly known as Precision AT. It took a little bit to get used to that. I like it. So what are we talking about today? Yes, so in particular, not just general wrist pain we're going to be particularly talking about pain that's on the ulnar side of the wrist so the idea is kind of like that tfcc area mm-hmm. so we're going to identify the relevant anatomy of the ulnar side of the wrist that's right anatomy's back <laughs> we haven't done that in a while we haven't done anatomy in a while i figured everyone was missing it so i had to had to bring it back uh, we'll discuss a couple of the pathologies of the ulnar wrist that are common within the active participants active populations and then we're going to examine some rehab concepts that address the this ulnar wrist pain. So when I think of the ulnar side of the wrist, I think of T- TFCC right off the bat. Yes. And that's kind of the area that we're this is really predominantly focused on, like those predominant structures that make up that TFCC. So when you hear TFCC, a lot of times it's kind of like, okay, what exactly is it? Because like when you talk about it, there could be a lot of different things that you're could be implicated as TFCC. And essentially, it's a complex interplay between ligaments, cartilage, and tendons. And reading up on just everything that's going on on that side of the wrist, it's pretty amazing just all the joints that are there, the little tiny ligaments that, one, make up the TFCC, but that can also play a role in other ligaments as well. Like, There's a lot of stuff that I feel like when we're in school, like when you talk about wrist pain or looking at wrist evaluation, I feel like it's not like super in depth. Oh, you have wrist pain? It's a wrist sprain. <laughs> yeah, right? Like that's what I kind of feel like it is. But like reading some of the literature on this, like it really goes into a lot of different things that you can do, which I thought was really cool because, yeah, that's kind of what tends to be like, oh, if there's someone with wrist pain, it's just like, oh, that's yeah, probably a wrist sprain. You do a few exercises and I don't know. It's just kind of like I don't want to say blown off, but it's just kind of like, oh, it's just it's the wrist. Mm hmm. Well, I mean, they do have hand specialists for a reason. Absolutely. Someone who just literally specializes in the hand because there's so much going on. Yeah, absolutely. And going into this literature, they even kind of talked about how like this, like that TFCC area is very like, they call it like the black box of the wrist because it's so hard to like identify the appropriate structure and uh, identify that right management plan. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a complex thing for many people. So... Anytime we're talking about pathology, we got to go back to anatomy. We're bringing it back. So we're going to start with the ligament anatomy. And in particular, we're going to look at this distal radio ulnar joint. All right. So this is kind of like where that ulna and radius meet at the wrist. And this joint is stabilized by uh, two different ligaments. It's the dorsal radio ulnar ligaments and the volar or palmar radio ulnar ligaments. This is kind of like if you think of like the tib-fib, like that uh, anterior and posterior tibiofibular ligament. It's kind of like the same idea, but in the wrist. Mm -hmm. So these two ligaments essentially kind of look like a Y coming off of the ulnar styloid. 
So kind of coming off that ulna is the base of the Y, and then it spreads out as it goes away from the ulna. Okay. Um, and it creates two layers. So there's a deep layer to it, and then there's a superficial layer. And these deep layers, those those deeper fibers branch out to create two additional ligaments that essentially connect the ulna to either the trichotrum or the lunate. And that's your ulno-trichotral ulno ligament and your ulno-lunate ligament. Essentially, just know there's a lot of connections here between yes. the ulna and those two carpal bones. And not just ligamentous. That was just the ligamentous. That's ju- exactly. We're just talking about the ligaments now. We haven't even talked about other aspects of this complex in the area. But that just shows how, one, how interrelated these structures are, but also the trichotrum, the lunate, they could all play a role in pain on this side of the wrist. Well, especially you think of um, the lunate dislocation being so common. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. The next structure that we kind of want to talk about with TFCC, and I feel like this is probably the predominant part of the TFC that gets talked about is this articular disc. Essentially, there's just a disc in there. Mm-hmm. Right? It kind of acts like a meniscus, kind of. That's how I think of it. Yeah. Ex- how I was taught, yeah. Exactly. And essentially, this sits on the head of the ulna, basically in between those radial ulnar ligaments, right? Like, it's it's kind of like, you know, how the Y kind of branches out. It's like in the middle, in that space of the two branches. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of similar to, like, what we talk about in the knee with the meniscus. A lot of it is avascular. There's oh, not a lot of yeah. There's not a lot of blood flow. It really the that outer fifteen to twenty percent of that kind of outer edge of the disc is the vascular part. So really, the inside of it's not getting a lot of um, blood flow. What I also found uh, kind of interesting and similar to kind of like the idea between the blood flow is the innervation of the actual disc itself has very few nerve endings. Also. So, is that similar to the meniscus too? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure on that. But it does explain how some people can have um, like lesions and damage to the TFCC without even having symptoms mm. or without having pain. You know what? I, that's really important when you talk about like imaging. Yes. And because honestly, we use our wrists so much to lift. Yeah. And move things and take weight and do so much. And yeah. I'm pretty sure a lot of us probably have TFCC problems yeah. that it with with an image the same as like a back, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting. You know, a lot of these articles did talk about how the deterioration or the degeneration as you get older so mm-hmm. as you age right it's a natural thing for this the structure to take on a lot of stress um i believe it was like a lot of the well, maybe not a lot but a good amount of the load and force transferred from the ulna to the wrist and vice versa is coming through this area so it makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well also if you think of if the disc itself is not that vascular if yeah. it's only the outer edge that's vascular then how much is not healing yeah it doesn't repair right 100 percent um and then as you go away from the disc from the center of the disc right there's a little bit of a outer edge to it and this is kind of referred to as the meniscus homolage homologue i, I hope i'm saying it right i, I think homolage but anywho essentially this is kind of that outer edge of the disc it's connective tissue not a lot of stabilization mm-hmm. from just this ju- this 
structure as well. But just know, hey, it's kind of a part of the disc. The disc is kind of the more important part. All right. And the final structure that we're going to kind of talk about that's very important to talking about TFCC is the actual tendon from the extensor carpi ulnaris. So anytime we're talking about this ulnar wrist pain, this muscle and this tendon are going to be a big deal. It's going to be highlighting big time. So does the extensor carpi ulnaris have any connection on the TFCC or does it just run past it? Yes. And yeah, we'll get into a little bit of that. So, uh... The extensor carpi ulnaris originates from that lateral epicondyle on the humerus, right? But that's not what we're here for. No, no, no. We're talking about its insertion and where it's running. So mm-hmm. it inserts to the base of the fifth metacarpal. But on the way to get there, um, it passes through a groove on that dorsal ulna. So there's a little bit of a groove where that tendon will kind of run through. Mm-hmm. And this is held in place by a retinaculum. And also, and this is going to be very important when we're talking about wrist pain, is there's a subsheath that also covers the tendon to hold it in place. Mm-hmm. Now, this covering, it or the subsheath, is an extension of the dorsal radial ulnar ligament. So there is a connection to the actual structure of the TFCC. Okay. So it does play a role in the stability of the wrist. The subsheath or the... Uh, both, but yeah, extensor. the subsheath, yeah. Okay. Um, so this is very important when we talk about pathology, right? That's why this uh, um, extensor carpi ulnaris is so important when we talk about ulnar-sided wrist pain because mm-hmm. right? it has a big role in stability. What I thought was very interesting is like, okay, when you talk about ana- in your like like anatomy classes and like probably some like the athletic training classes, right? Oh, extensor carpi ulnaris. Oh, it's doing wrist extension and ulnar deviation, right? Mm-hmm. Best answer. Right. Dude. Reading up on just this individual muscle, the actions change depending on the position of your forearm. Hmm. Now get this is this is where it gets wild. Well, the funny thing is, like I would when you first said that, I was thinking like, oh, I mean, I could kind of guess that because yeah. of the uh, how the radius moves, but yeah. the ulna is not moving. Yeah. So, in supination, so if you're in supination, this is where it has the greatest extension torque. So the access, the reason for this is because the access of rotation is dorsal to the ulna. So it's actually creating that extension torque. But if you go into pronation, how the tendon actually kind of shifts, the tendon is now more in line with the um, access of rotation for the wrist. And the extensor strength is actually diminished like significantly. It's almost more of an isometric role now. Interesting. So if you're in pronation trying to do wrist extension... That extensor carpi ulnaris is not the one doing it. What is? All the other wrist extensors. Hmm. Probably like uh, radialis and all the fun stuff there. Extensor digitorum longus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was very interesting that it changes based on the position of your um, your wrist and forearm. Right. So I thought I thought that was really cool. So it it does kind of this tendon is going to be needs to have some mobility and shouldn't be necessarily restricted. So you can kind of see how that could kind of create an issue going forward as we talk about the pathology. So what that tells me is we should be testing in pronation supination for wrist extension, and we should be rehabbing in pronation supination for wrist extension. Yeah, pretty much. Um, It kind of helps guide your like, hey, if you're having 
pain with wrist extension, but you're in pronation, hey, maybe a, the um, extensor tendon maybe isn't, or like the extensor carpi ulnaris tendon isn't necessarily the culprit, mm-hmm. but there's also a test that can kind of help, which we'll get into as well. Okay. I'll give you that. But there is an honorable mention, uh, the UCL of the wrist. So that ulnar collateral ligament. Mm-hmm. Um, some people consider it a part of the TFCC. Um, others do not. So it is debated whether this is truly a part of the TFCC or not. Um, just wanted to put that in there that, hey, that could be implicated, right? It does have some connections, but some people argue, oh, well, it's just a thicker part of the capsule. That That's, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's actually move on into pathologies. So what people are really here for. <laughs> I mean, I think they're here for the rehab. That's true, but that'll go. I combine that into the pathologies. Okay, we'll get there. Yes. So obviously we're talking about TFCC. Mm-hmm. So we must talk about your TFCC tears. Mm-hmm. All right. This can be acute. So um, this is any axle loading to an extended and or ulnar deviated wrist. So basically just kind of putting force through that ulnar side of the wrist is going to create an issue. Um, the best part when I was putting that in was, you know, uh, you know, teaching a class on like upper extremity injuries. I basically nailed it into everyone's like thinking that falling on an outstretched arm is very, very bad because of stuff like this, right? Extended wrist, axle loading. That's a problem. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that more sports don't do fall training. That's true. Because when I was in gymnastics, that was one of the first things we did was learn how to fall. Yeah. It's important. Learn how to bail. And that's what I heard. Like, like the really good, like, strength programs one of Mm -hmm. the first things they teach you when you're learning complex lifts are okay how do you bail from a lift safely right right and it's important Mm -hmm. i mean preventing injury can also just be the movement pattern that you're used to and if you're training to Mm -hmm. learn how to bail from a movement then you're more likely to do it when it's unexpected yeah right you gotta practice just like you practice your normal movements Mm -hmm. that makes sense um but TFCC injuries can also be chronic, right? So it could be the repeated stress from the pronation, supination, or even ulnar deviation, right? Because that's really closing off that joint, putting a lot of compression and stress on it. But the pronation, supination, that's a really big deal. That causes a lot of stress through the TFCC. So um, that's definitely going to be a problem. And it, you could see it in a lot of different sports, right? Like, um, like your throwing sports, right? Going into kind of coming from supination, pronation. So... Yeah, no, definitely that pronation supination is going to be a problem. Um, Along with the chronic aspect, there's also a condition called ulnar impaction syndrome. So essentially what this is saying is the ulna is too long, which I think is crazy. Having a too long of a ulna too short, like your bones, not, you know, I mean, it makes sense. It can happen anywhere, but I don't know. It's really kind of cool. So this really would have benefited them to uh, this person, whoever has an ulna that's too long to break. At the growth plate? Uh, yeah, I guess and so. stunt their growth. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that's true, huh? But yeah, essentially the ulna is too long. And the problem with the ulna kind of being longer than the radius is it increases the load that's going through the TFCC. I think they were saying like it jumps from like like about like 18, 20% of the load through the wrist is just coming through the TFCC. It makes it jump up to about 40%. Well, I can see that because if you do any sort of ulnar deviation and you have an ulna that is a little bit more than the radius, like that's so much more pressure yeah. than when you're 
like if you're going into that ulnar deviation. 100%. So that's something to keep in mind when like your athletes are going to, you know, get imaging or you're worried about TFCC tears. That's what else they're going to kind of look for because if there's an ulna that's too long, they're going to have to shave that bad boy down because I was actually just wondering what they were going to do with that. Yeah, they have to they basically kind of shave it down. Like they take a little part of it out to make it an appropriate length, which I actually had an athlete go through that. Really? Yeah, it was really cool to kind of see it. Like I heard about the surgery, but to actually see it, it was really neat. Hmm. Um, but yeah, and it makes sense, right? Like, why are we just going to repair the TFCC if the a big cause of that tear was an ulna that's too long? Right, we got to fix that too. Right. So, you know. So, what do you do now? What do you do now when uh, someone with TFCC pain or ulnar wrist pain comes to you? Right now, it's time to like like let's dive in. Let's see what we're looking at in evaluation. Yeah. So, like, how do you differentiate this between like a wrist sprain? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so one kind of key thing is, right, it's very similar to a meniscus, right? A patient uh, may be complaining of clicking or popping, right? And that's going to be with like kind of uh, pronation, supination. They may get it with like wrist extension too. What, ulnar deviation? Oh, um, no, it's mostly going to be, they may get pain with the ulnar deviation, mm-hmm. but the clicking and popping, I, th- I believe, is coming from the rotation aspect. I have a really good party trick with my... TFCC clicking and popping. Yes, with you do. Pronation, supination. Yes, you do. <laughs> I would do it on the podcast, but I'm pretty sure it might gross some people out. So, even though we're all athletic trainers, <laughs> <laughs> so that is one thing that they could be complaining of, and obviously that might be associated with pain as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they could also complain of uh, instability on the side of the wrist. So, just hey, the wrist isn't feeling uh, super stable. Um, mm-hmm. That could be one thing as well. Um, so some of the tests that we can kind of do to kind of, okay, let's kind of dive in a little bit, kind of tweeze out what kind of pathologies we're looking at is they could have a positive, positive fovea sign. Mm -hmm. And essentially that's literally just palpating the space between the ulna styloid and the pisiform, right? That kind of like little blank space in there. Um, that's the fovea. And if they have pain in there, it's actually surprisingly, the test is pretty good for it. Um, Sensitivity is about 95%, and then specificity is about 86%. I'm surprised that, well, first of all, that it's not just tender to palpation there, and they actually have a a name for this. Yes, there's actually a sign. But also, um, I'm surprised that it's so sensitive when, because sensitive is negative, you rule it out. So I get, okay, but it has a, it has less specificity yeah so what i was gonna say was because the ulnar carpi carpi radio uh, oh my gosh the ulnar carpi ulnaris runs there too yeah and so if you have pain there it could be the muscle yeah and that's why it's like if there's pain there right it's not necessarily a guarantee right it's only 86 i mean i shouldn't say only 86 like that's really high Mm -hmm. but like you have a good okay well we might need to be concerned so basically if you poke that area, yeah. sorry, I shouldn't say poke. If you palpate that area. Yeah, we're not just poke. <laughs> I don't know. I poke my patient's <laughs> wrist. If, if you palpate that patient's wrist in the area of the TFCC yep. and it is painful. Yep. It is, sorry, if it is not painful, yeah. then you can be like, okay, we can move on. You could be 95% sure. That you can move on. That that is not TFCC pain or like pathology hmm. Hmm. 
just trying on myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, they also have uh, the compression test. So a positive compression test, essentially putting them into passive ulnar deviation. And right? if that hurts mm-hmm. or if you get a click or a pop with pain too, um, that could be a positive. Positive, I assume, on the side of the TFCC because yes. you can also get a good Dequarians there. Yes, yeah, but you're not putting the thumb. It's literally just the wrist part. So, yeah, don't give them like Dequarians while you do it. Right. Um, you And then also a positive TFCC stress test, which is ulnar deviation with extension while axle loading. So basically you load, ulnar deviate, and extend. That can cause pain as well. I've even seen some stuff that's talking about ulnar deviation, axle loading, and then uh, pronation supination as well. So basically a Thessaly's test of the wrist. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, if you, when in doubt, test it like it's a meniscus. Yeah, seriously, that's true. You're trying to grind the joint, basically. Right. Um, if, now, because of how the TFCC is really important to the stability, not only of the carpal bones, or at least the ulnar side carpal bones, but also the radial ulnar joint itself, you could see some instability within the ulnar radial ulnar joint as well. So that that connection between the ulna and the radi- radius. Um, they actually do have a test for that. It is kind of like your uh, your AC joint, right? The piano key test. Hmm. So if you have a positive piano key, which essentially you put the patient's wrist on on the table, mm-hmm. and basically you push down the ulnar styloid process, um, and if you see increased movement in that ulnar styloid. They may have some instability. We need to take a video of mine and post it because I've got some really good movement. You got in. some stabil- instability? I do. And, it, okay, and compared let's, to... compared Let's to, stop that. <laughs> well, we're learning all these tests. <laughs> um, compared to the other side, you can even just see the difference. Yeah. We'll have to check that out. We will have to film that. Mm-hmm. Um, so take a look at that probably on our Facebook page page yeah our facebook group um facebook.com slash group slash at corner podcast yeah um another thing that they kind of talked about like hey if you're if you see someone that has a really like a super pronounced ulnar styloid especially compared to their like non-affected hand um that could also be a sign of um radio ulnar instability because those ligaments holding the uh, ulnar styloid process and the radius are are damaged, so mm-hmm. obviously one the ulnar styloid can pop up. So does that does that directly relate to TFCC or is that is they're, TFCC within the umbrella of that? It, it they're kind of tied together. Okay, they can be tied together, but you can have a TFCC damage without radio ulnar instability. Got it. Yeah. But if you have radio ulnar instability, you, you have probably a have a TFCC damage. Got it. All right, so the management part, right? We all kind of know like surgical part, so we're not really going to talk too much about that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really going to kind of focus on that non-surgical aspect, um, which the cool thing with um, with like a TFCC tear. Now, the instability part that that could make it a little more complicated, <laughs> but the tear itself, a lot of times, surgery and stuff can be delayed. Like they could kind of go through their season, um, especially if like symptoms aren't like limiting them mm-hmm. um so conservative is always going to be that kind of first like hey let's do this first what are some things you help them do to get through their season so they did talk about like some taping right you can try and tape them kind of add some of the stability there mm-hmm. How um, do you, what do you do 
they didn't really describe the taping. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really going to come off of what are you seeing and what's going to benefit them. Um, a regular just kind of wrist tape can work, just adding the compression there. And that mm-hmm. could help with some instability in that radio ulnar joint um, because it's going to hold everything together. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your sport allows, you could try and do like a, I don't, like a kind of like a UCL kind of idea, like su- uh-huh. support that ulnar side. Um, you could try that as well. It, it When you think of the mechanism of that ulnar deviation, you may want to try and restrict that. Mm-hmm. If you can tape it appropriately for them. So we can post the tape that I learned from my co-head Lorena. She um, helped. She, actually, the um, the tape that she does really helps my wrist. Nice. And I use it like when I cl- uh, rock climb and stuff. But we, uh, she just does a, she splits one and a half inch tape in half. Yeah. Or if you, or you could just use like a one inch. Yeah. Strip and you literally just go around once or twice like you would. Yep. Um, like a normal wrist tape. And if you were to do the one where you um, split the tape in half, you can split the tape in half and do one and then use the other side to do another. Yep. And then you keep going like a normal wrist tape. So you have the the small space yeah. first and then you go over like a normal wrist tape. Yeah. When I do mine like that, I just do a regular and then I'll do the um, either half inch or the inch on top of that. Mm. So I just have both tapes. I don't do the split. Um. But yeah, uh, they did talk about like some bracing options, but unfortunately for athletes, one, they're not going to like it and it really doesn't be like tend to be really beneficial to them, especially because the type of bracing that they're, you have to kind of do, um, they really look at like above elbow oh, wow. bracing in between sporting activities because, because they have to, because the, right. they have to limit pronation supination. Right. Right. And if you're not compliant with that bracing an arm cast has been suggested right wow so not too many athletes are going to sign up for that (laughs) um if it's a very significant tear this like the immobilization could be about four to six weeks of being immobilized like that's that blows well that's really interesting because if you think of like a if you think of a bone in the hand it heals a lot faster than anywhere else in the body yeah but i mean four to six weeks is kind of significant yeah, and I think, that, uh, and I, obviously that's going to be for something that's a little more of a significant tear and something right. that's probably really debilitating. Mm-hmm. Um, so outside of bracing and support, right? The next thing, what, what are we going to do as clinicians? Right, the biggest thing is, hey, we need to improve the wrist strength and we want to improve our ability to stabilize our wrist. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe I was looking at kind of like this was going off of the surgery, but it can be applied to the non-surgical. Um, aspect is they looked at the cross-sectional area of some of the um, muscles in the forearm Mm -hmm. and those that had a higher cross-sectional area after like going through a rehab Mm -hmm. had a better outcome post-surgery than those that had like a lower cross-sectional area so like a not like an i don't want to say atrophied muscle but not as hypertrophied Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um right they have lower outcomes so that just shows the importance of being able to strengthen those um, those forearm muscles, especially the ones that are going to support that ulnar side of the wrist. So being able to kind of strengthen the you know those muscles, those wrist extensors, um, and also those wrist flexors as well, because they'll also help and the radial deviators, right? That can help take a lot of tension off of that um, TFCC. So if conservative fails, right, or another consideration is being in a very 
um, gripping or rotation dominant sport like gymnastics mm-hmm. or rock like some climbing. of the, what rock climbing, rock climbing or those uh, like racket sports. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, Surgery, I didn't even think about yeah. racket. You're right. You're right. Uh, sport or those sports surgery may be necessary so that might be on the table as well but there's they still might try a conservative treatment first but that is a consideration to kind of consider how long is the recovery from that surgery depending on the procedure the range that i saw was about six six weeks to 12 weeks around there okay yeah yeah, so a little bit of a range. Um, it really depends on, okay, what did they have to get done? And especially if they had to shorten the ulna as well, that's mm. going to play a role. Right. Um, but yeah, anywhere from six to 12 weeks. Okay. You know what I thought of too is another taping technique that I do is I take the, um, I play on the idea of like limiting that ulnar deviation. Yeah. And so I take a piece of white tape and I kind of like, twist it like you would like a patellar tendon strap so it's like a a nice firm almost like a rope yeah and then you could fold that in half so it's a little bit more like it's like a u-shape and then oh. you stick it right in the space Ooh, nice and then you can luco tape that on or you can um you can put that in your wrist tape so it kind of makes yeah. a spacer yeah. for that ulnar deviation yeah all right so enough about the actual TFCC portion. Now we're going to talk about another condition that if you really dive into ulnar sided wrist pain will come up a lot. And that's extensor carpe ulnaris uh, tendinopathy or even a subluxing tendon. Or, hmm. Yeah, subluxing tendon. Mm-hmm. Um, so those with kind of the tendinopathy, uh, they're going to complain of pain over that um, extensor carpe ulnaris tendon. Mm-hmm. Right, So kind of right where it's coming off of the ulna. Um, and again, also kind of like in that fovea area as well. So right. that's why it's kind of like, it's not hundred percent guaranteed it's TFCC, but no, it's, it's a uh, 95 sensitive and 86, and 86. it's only 86%. Yeah, we're only spinning sure that it's a TFCC. Yeah. We're only spinning 86% yeah. of the time. <laughs> uh, but they can also have pain with the wrist extension and ulnar deviation and weakness can be associated with this pain. But if they have weakness without pain, you might want to consider a rupture. Wouldn't you be able to see a rupture? You would think so, but it's also a really small tendon. So maybe mm-hmm. it's not like as pronounced to see the roll up or okay. anything like that. So now as the clinician, okay, how am I going to identify this as well? What tests can I use? And there's a really cool one called the um, extensor carpi ulnaris synergy test. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was really really interesting because it does kind of highlight the role this tendon has as a stabilizer. So you're going to have the patient's elbow at 90 degrees on the table in supination. So with one hand, the clinician is going to resist thumb abduction and uh, middle finger adduction. So that's with one hand. The second hand is going to, re- is going to palpate where that extensor carpi ulnaris tendon kind of runs. Mm-hmm. And what this creates that resistance to those two motions is going to isometrically contract that extensor carpi ulnaris tendon. So uh, middle finger and thumb are basically opposing each other. Yes. And the clinician is using their hand to resist yep, those. They're going to resist okay. that. Just so I have a good picture of. Okay. Yeah. And if it's the tendinopathy, you're going to have pain with that. Mm-hmm. If you have If you have someone that has a subluxing tendon, they may actually feel a pop as well. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the tendon falling out of the groove. That's a good way to differentiate between extensor uh, carpi yeah. and the TFCC. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Um, another test is more specifically to the subluxing tendon part is what they call the ice cream scoop test. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you just have your patient kind of go into like if they were scooping ice cream out. That's how I get my wrist to pop. <laughs> I was going to say, if it pops, then you may have instability of the uh, uh, extensor carpi ulnaris tendon. There you go. Positive. Yeah. Yeah. You literally just have them go through the scoop and then if it pops or so, or comes out, there you go. Mm-hmm. So now we know this, right? We know what's going on. How do we manage it? And obviously in a tendinopathy, right? It's going to be like as with any tendinopathy, right? We're going to work on our eccentric work and then eventually the stabilization of the tendon itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you could, like they did talk about some splinting with the tendinopathy and it's going to be very similar to the subluxing tendon. So that splinting is they'll put them in 30 degrees of wrist extension and ulnar deviation. Interesting. Yeah. So that will kind of allow the tendon to kind of heal because it's not being put on any like tension or anything like that. Right. Um, but if you have a true instability, you could be immobilized for up for about six weeks. And that immobilization is then going to be in pronation and radial deviation because that's how the tendon reduces back into the groove. Got it. So usually if I have like a wrist sprain, like a typical like wrist sprain patient, I will immobilize them for the first 24 hours at least to try to see if that kind of calms anything down. Um, I guess I didn't really think about with a TFC. I guess an acute TFCC. Yeah. Um, but, and then now talking about the tendinopathy, it makes sense to put them in that ulnar deviation because yeah. you're shortening that tendon. Yep, exactly. Um, what I also thought too about the splinting part mm-hmm. is like when you talk about, oh, the generic wrist sprain, right? Like a wrist brace doesn't like, it's really short already and mm-hmm. it doesn't stop, um, pronation, supination. Right. So when you're talking about ulnar wrist pain, you almost want to limit that kind of rotation. So that, that I thought was very interesting. I have a hard enough time getting my guys to oh, goodness, wear yeah. a wrist brace. For, oh, yeah, I tell them just 24 hours just to get their buy-in. Like, yeah. like humor me, try it out for the first yeah. day, and then we'll see if we need to keep it or not. Yeah. It's almost like when you put something in a boot just to kind of give it a break. Yeah. I find that it works really well. That's awesome. I, compliance is a big deal. Right. And then once they get the buy-in, then they're like, okay, I guess I'll keep this I guess you were right. I guess you know what you're doing. (laughs) Yep, there you go. That's your ulnar-sided wrist pain. Now we need an action item. All right. Action item. So the biggest things are to remember how complex this anatomy is and understanding that the biggest trigger or kind of indicator of the structures involved with the TFCC is definitely going to be that pronation supination. Right, that's mm-hmm. going to be a big deal um, and understanding how it relates to the trichertrum, the lunate. Um, and remember, the management is we're trying to protect those structures, right? So whether you may have to do immobilization, but also st- being able to stabilize the wrist and focusing on the strengthening of those kind of ulnar sided muscles as well. Yeah, I think the, my biggest takeaway from this episode was the difference between that TFCC versus the extensor carpi ulnaris. And then trying to differentiate between your tests. Um, and then once you determine what it is, uh, figuring out how to address those symptoms. Yeah. And then 
figuring out how, what we're going to need to do, if it's going to need surgery or if you can immobilize and kind of yeah. plug and play, see where, see where they're at. Yeah, absolutely. And remember it, you know, kind of going off of the test between the two, you know, that tendinopathy is going to have a lot more issues with actual muscular contraction, whereas mm-hmm. a lot of the tests that we would be using for a TFCC aren't really using muscle contraction to like get it to fire. Mm-hmm. Right. So if they're having a lot of pain with like actual resistance to muscles, you, it may not be the TFCC. Mm-hmm. So that is a kind of a consideration to help you out. Or it could be both. Or it could be both. Absolutely. Both could be damaged. I mean, depending on what you did too. Seriously. Yeah. Hopefully that's not the case. Yeah. That is another thing too, is right. You could have both pathologies as well. It doesn't <laughs> have to be one or the other all the time. Um, so how many references did you use for this, Randy? This one was a short one because a lot of the literature on these structures is very surgical. Um, I think I ran about 10 or so. Okay. Yeah. So those references are on our website. Our website also has a list of all our CEU episodes. Um, the latest uh, update on which ones are free, which ones are a dollar, which ones are not. Um, like they're regularly priced. Um, and then... Again, to get your CEUs, make sure that you purchase, even though, even if it's free, you, you have to purchase that free episode and then you can go through the quiz and evaluation yep. and everything is down below in the show notes or on YouTube. And then the get your CEUs. And get your CEUs. So if you guys are new, we do every other episode as education or stories. This one was an education episode and next week we are going back to our story episodes where we share stories from athletic trainers around the world, which we really like saying. Yeah, it's always fun saying that. Um, so make sure you tune back into our Facebook group, like we talked about before to to figure out what our upcoming topics are and then head over to our Instagram to submit your stories. You got anything else, Randy? Nope. That was perfect. Thank you for helping us showcase athletic training behind the tape. Bye.